You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dancing Man, a fabulous invalid podcast featuring exclusive behind-the-scenes interviews with the cast and creative team of Bob Fosse's Dancing on Broadway. I'm Rob Russo. I'm Jamie Dumont. And we're your hosts. And we're also excited to be co-producers of Dancing on Broadway and thrilled, as always, to be back in the Roosevelt Cocktail Room at Civilian for another conversation with a member of the production. Yes, and joining us this week is Corinne McFadden Herrera, who is the associate director and musical stager for the show and also did additional choreographic reconstruction. Corinne performed in the original Broadway companies of Aida, Wicked, and the 2005 revival of Sweet Charity, the latter two of which she served as associate choreographer alongside Wayne Salento, and all three of which were choreographed by Wayne. So she's got a long, long connection to Wayne Salento. Yeah, and a varied career. Oh my gosh, she's done it all. She also is the one person that everyone brings up when they they can't talk about Wayne without talking about Corinne. Exactly. I can't wait to speak to her. Yeah, so let's do it. Here's our conversation with Corinne. Corinne, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming down. So happy to be here. Dancing is in full swing. I happen to know this because I was at the performance last night. I am, um, in fact, I made the performance report my woo um, after Corey sang uh, Life, "Life Is a Bowl of Cherries." Yeah, I yeah, saw that in the report yeah, yeah. this morning. I that, didn't know it was you. That woo was me. It was very vocal. <laughs> but the show is in full swing. How are you feeling now that it's it's up? It's running. What's going on? Um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm super proud. I'm also sometimes shocked that we did it all and got it up. Sometimes I look at it, I'm like, wow, it's pretty incredible. But you know, there's still a lot of work to be done on my end because, you know, a lot of our, well, most of our understudies have now hit the deck, which Mm. has been awesome, but I continue to forge ahead and get everybody ready and, uh, you know, pop in as much as I can. I'm there every week. So, but it's, yeah, I don't know. I've, I'm in that like one foot in actually two feet in one half a foot out phase right now where (laughs) it's, um, I don't know. It's just kind of surreal to watch it up and going and watch the response. And I like to see it every week because my eyes are fresher as I get a few days of, not rest, but just a few days away. And then I come back in, I can see it with a different perspective. So that's been really kind of awesome. That's interesting. So if you're there multiple times a week, do you miss certain things? Is what It's what I'm hearing. It's like if you, if you take a little bit of a break, the eagle eye is more focused? Uh, yes, I, I would say so. I mean, I just, just from having supervised for a lot of years, it's, you know, there's there's a sweet spot where if you're if you're watching too frequently, you can get focused on things that are not perhaps important to the bigger picture. 
all the things are important, but sometimes you can start to, your eyes start to focus on something, seeing it repeatedly. And you lose a little bit of the freshness of, you know, really taking each performance is a living, breathing thing. And it's not film and it's not edited. And so you have to be fully kind of with them on the ride and present in the moment. Matinees feel different than Saturday evenings. You know, it's uh, it's an energy exchange. So I try to see it at least a couple times a week, but not eight shows a week because it's going to make my eyes fried and that's not good for anybody and me being in their face and giving them lots of notes. That's not good for anybody. Let's go back to the beginning a little bit. How did you meet Wayne Salento? How did that partnership begin? He loves to tell this story and I, I should let him tell the story because he tells it better than me. But um, he had already seen me dance because I, I danced in Mia Michaels company in raw and I walked into the audition for Aida and it was very exciting and everybody was there and I put it all on the floor and he had this amazing response to me. And I came in and I sang. Then the callback happened, but I had a gig and I was actually assisting Mia Michaels in a, in a job in Hawaii. So I was really tortured and unable. I mean, I've always been a person that like tries to follow through with whatever I've promised to do. So it didn't feel comfortable to me to back out. So I called the casting director at Telsey. I said, I, I can't be there and I'm really gutted. And I just really hope that he will consider me, you know, if anything comes up in the future, I would love to be seen again. I really wanted to work with him. And um, I went and did the gig and I came back and the callback happened. And then I got a call shortly after with an offer for the show with a feature. He tells it better because from his perspective, he's like, she's in the show. She's in the show. She's just in the show. <laughs> You know, I mean, that wasn't a great Wayne impersonation, but... It was not bad. I mean... It, the energy was correct. It's right. The energy is correct. The accent might be a little it's off. Like, yeah, he's got that New York. I've got the New Jersey. Yeah. He's got the Bronx. You know, he's from the Bronx, so it's a little different. But well, after Aida, uh, you went on to work as assistant choreographer for Wayne on a little show called Wicked. I did. And yeah. uh, the 2005 <laughs> revival of Sweet Charity. Yes. So clearly you two clicked. We he was did. right to clock you in that audition. No, we did. Yeah, I started dance captaining Aida after, yeah. you know, about maybe a, not even a year into the run. And then he had me, uh, he asked me to assist him. We did a, a cruise ship show together and um, our amazing collaboration and work relationship just blossomed from there. It was He's always been like the best mentor and support system. He's just like, it reminds you that there's really people that can love you and support you and be super, uh, and prop you up. And that's what it should be. Yeah. So how did the, the opportunity to be assistant choreographer come about? He just asked, he invited yeah. me over, you know, uh, he invited me over to his house in Mamaroneck to swim and hang out and wanted <laughs> to talk to me about something. And I had already assisted him on a, a cruise ship show. So we had been through, <laughs> we had been, we'd had like a really interesting, it was a new ship and it was docked, dry docked in Nice, which was fabulous. Oh, wow. But the ship was beautiful, but we were supposed to pick up uh, passengers and everything in Barcelona and we went out to sea and it was so rough that we had to turn around and we were also teching everybody was throwing up oh and like flying off the stage and Wayne and I ironically were not sick but the whole lighting board was green in front of us and he's like well can't you fix that cue and I'm like Wayne they're 
just they're throwing up. So <laughs> I think we probably need to put a pause on tech today. So it, we had an adventure and uh, yeah, it I think like it, you really bonded. We did. That we experience. had an, a fun adventure and we still got it done and the show's turned out really quite beautiful. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was the beginning of our uh, kind of work relationship shifting from, uh, you know, creator and dancer to something that progressed over the 25 years that I've known him and has grown and grown and grown. He's I've learned so many things from him and it's really been, I think, integral to my growth as an artist and, and my career. Well, one thing I'm really curious about is Sweet Charity mm. because obviously, you know, that's an iconic Bob Fosse show. And in 2005, you and Wayne worked together on creating, you know, new choreography or a new production of Sweet Charity, which is a big task to take on. Oh, you better <laughs> believe it. As you were putting that together with him, what were those discussions like? What was the the process like of deciding, you know, well, there's some iconic choreography, but also this is Wayne's version of Sweet Charity. Yeah, we really grappled with it. We did a so many months of pre-production on yeah. it. And, and, and also because, you know, coming from Wicked, which was an original piece and working on that together. And, you know, it's one thing when it's like you're telling a story and it's, it's free game. And like, literally we together, when we have, when we're clear about what the music is and what the story is, we both just vomit. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> um, and that's what we, that's how we worked on Wicked. It would just like pour out of us. And, and we also, I mean, there were so many, phases of it. We would go in at eight o'clock in the morning and completely redo a number. It was just, you know, that's how it rolled. But something like Sweet Charity was way harder to tackle because it's, it is iconic. And because also just in terms of like the book being, you know, what it is and the music being what it is and that staying true to form, it's really hard to go against that grain once that's already established. So you have to be super mindful. It took a ton of research. We basically knew that, it, you know, it just couldn't be done without the tip of the hat to right. the original creator. It, it's, it's, infor it's like already informed in the DNA of the musical arrangements and everything. So it's almost impossible to really completely go against that grain successful. I don't know. I, I find it, I think with Bob Fosse's work, Jerome Robbins work, some people are so iconic. It's almost impossible to completely flip it on its head. I think there's been amazing attempts and I've seen one person, I think, do an incredible job with it, but I think it's a really hard, hard task. So it gets in your head, right? Because you know that it's there's, a trap. There's, we, there's we, an expectation, yeah. right? But in your head, people are saying, well, you can't do it without the bar. You can't do Big Spender without the bar. No. You can't do Brass Band without the this or the that, right? So 100%. how do you get out of your head to begin the process? It was hard. It took us a while to get out of our heads. And, and you know, we also had a there was another associate on it because I was also in, I got cast in the show. You know, I had the, the Frug, the Frug girl dance feature, but then I also understudied Ursula, which was mm. a speaking role. So I had like a really full plate, but then again, I really wanted the challenge of all those things, but it's hard to wear all those hats and it's hard for Wayne because 
when we're teching and I'm in and out, it's impossible for all my energy to be directed in one way or another, whether it's looking at the, you know, being with him for the good of the entire piece, but then it's also my process as what I need to do as a performer. So we would try to split that as best as pos possible. And we had another associate, Ted Benfalvi, who's amazing and I love, but it took us a while, the three of us. Yeah. And we just threw ourselves around for a while and then it started to take shape. Also, being Bob's work, I knew that it had to be like staged and charted within an inch of its life before we even got anywhere near working with the cast because those kinds of production numbers are epic yeah. and you have to have it together. You can't be kind of doing that on its feet. So it was it was a process, but a really fun one. Yeah. So that was 18 years ago. So you might not remember, but <laughs> at the time, did you think as you're doing this research and, you know, sort of exploring the world of Fosse, did you think, oh, you know what? Someday I want to do something else in the Fosse world. I mean, he's always been just like an incredible inspiration to me since since childhood. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I, I, I was probably watching Sweet Charity and Cabaret like way too young. <laughs> same, um, literally uh, same. Way too young. <laughs> me I mean, too. so many shows in my living room that yes. happened with my dog. I, I, I never thought that I would necessarily, you know, delve back into it again, especially since we really did Sweet Charity in the style of Bob Fosse. I, I didn't I didn't necessarily know that that would come up again. And yeah. it was fascinating when it when it did, because, you know, obviously dancing has been talked about for years and years in the dance community. And that would be a, a fantastic thing to, you know, revive or do a reiteration of. And um, so it was it's kind of, you know, everything's serendipitous. It's so interesting right. how where things land. But um, no, I never thought that I would say in 2005, 2006. Yeah. 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 Well, before we get to dancing and we do want to talk at, at length about dancing, <laughs> we kind of can't move any further without talking a little bit about Wicked. You've had a long association with the show. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe you're still associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I still, I still am the associate choreographer. So it, it kind of functions like a resident choreographic supervisor. And what does that mean? Like, what are you, what are you still doing? I am still doing the casting. I am still maintaining the U S productions that we have, which are Broadway company and, uh, national tour. Uh, once upon a time when I came back to start supervising everything, we had like four or five companies in the States. Yeah. So I still do that. There's, I still do the over, I do the licensed productions, most of them as well. I've been to Australia, Japan, Brazil, Mexico city, Korea. I'm about to go back to Australia this summer to do a remount there. When theater came back after the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know where I'm going I with do, this. I do. Yeah. So <laughs> you were prepping for dancing yes. and trying to get Wicked back up on its feet and not just one Wicked, but all the wickeds because wicked didn't the tour of wicked two be wickeds yeah began before they they Correct. went before brought they, sorry i'm not saying this well those two tours of wicked they they went into performances before broadway came back correct, correct. i yep. put them up in august we put them up uh in august and uh september was broadway so that went up the tour went up first that's, in dallas that's an enormous amount of work the thing about wicked is we're approaching 20 years and i know it so well that it's 
though it's always, it's a constant work for me. It's constant, you know, it's constant casting, it's constant emails, it's constant checking in, it's constant, you know, just in terms of the ebb and flow of maintenance of Wicked, you know, I try to touch base with the cast at least once a month and notes multiple times and cleanup rehearsals and all those other things. But the thing about Wicked is it's part of my soul. Mm. So getting, you know, even from the steps that are in it that Wayne and I created together in a studio in 2001 or 2002, like it's all part of my soul. So going back there feels like going back home. My eyes are refined to know exactly what I need to do and what needs to happen. And then we still have, you know, I still have a fabulous associate director there, Lisa Leguio, that I work with very closely and who I admire a lot. And we just get it done, you know. And so that seems familiar. Something new is a whole other deep sea dive, even though Wicked is just as much work and a ton of work. It's just it's a it's a different phase, I guess. It's yeah. a different phase of your artistry. Well, it's so fascinating because when we talked to Nicole in our first interview, yeah. you know, she talked about the importance of the seeds of information that are the sort of roots, foundation, that, the foundation yeah. for the steps of Fosse. And what you're just explaining is, for Wicked, you and Wayne provide those seeds because you literally came I, up with I the movement. I water the seeds. Yeah. I planted the seeds. We planted all the seeds. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It is true. So it's, it's I, I don't know. It's a different sense of responsibility, I suppose. Danson was, Wayne and I just felt like a huge amount of pressure. And Wayne, obviously, knowing Bob and having done multiple shows with Bob and worked with Bob, the pressure to do justice to mm. his vision, his cadence, his very specific it's he has so many styles i can't even say his style because he's like a he's a man that could do every medium from film to tv to theater and he also was not just a stylist that did small intricate things that are similar to what people have seen with what Ann did with Chicago. He also did MGM musicals and could fly across a set in one take for (laughs) like a five, six minute piece of choreography without cutting away. So there's no specific style, but to pay true attention to all those details was felt like such a huge responsibility that we both took extremely seriously while we tried to laugh through it. This has been such like a, a, a passion project, you know, for, for me to come into after be, being idle, all of us being so idle yeah. in our industry and in our artistry. Dance is not two-dimensional. It's not meant to be done on a screen with... <laughs> we are like, we're creatures that are communal. You have to be in the room together. Mm-hmm. It's about mimicking. It's about sweating. It's about exchanging energy and... That's impossible to do. Every principal that we've spoken to has talked about the audition process for Dancing and how it was most people's first audition back and what that was like in the room and the power and the magic and the love and all and, and the challenges. Mm-hmm. What was it like on your side of the table? It was similar. Quite frankly, I think Wayne and I really... It was intense. It was more intense. (laughs) I I knew it was going to be intense because we'd all been so isolated for so long and nobody was doing anything in person. Obviously, there was a lot of prep in order to do that. But the fact that we got to look at and be in a room with close to 600 dancers is 
just astonishing after just the separation that everybody had and 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 the feeling that you're out of practice and the feeling that you you know maybe I, I felt for I felt for everybody because you know so many talented people but it, it really is a muscle that you must exercise and without the opportunity to really do that it's you know adrenaline can get the best of you. Nerves mm. can get the best of you, but it's, I, I actually think it was like really incredible. I, we were very emotional. The last call we did the last day of invites and it went on and on for weeks. But the last day when, um, we did the last group and my friend and someone that I've been on stage with that is part of the company, Dilise Croman walked in the room after having seen her, haven't seen her for a few years and uh, it was super emotional. And she walked in with Rochelle Rack and it just was like, it was just to see people that have done this work for a long time, have been artists for a long time, have worked with everybody, have done millions of Broadway shows in the room, all in the same energetic place. I don't know, it was kind of deep. It was, it was emotional. It was really emotional. And the generations of dancers that were showing up, it was really special. Well, you know, I think something that folks who aren't a part of this industry might not necessarily uh, think of or know is how small it can be and how, you know, as the longer you work, the more you start to meet everyone. And before long, that circle has been completed, right? It's true. And so many people have remarked how walking into that audition was like a family reunion. It was. You know, because it was a full circle. Right? And folks yeah. hadn't seen each other for years and all of that. So many people that we've talked to have spoken about you with such love and reverence and, you know, seeing you at the audition or just working with you, right? It has meant so much to them to to have you in the room and to be there, you know, throughout this process. And several have even remarked that they can't take their eyes off you when you dance. Now, of course, we don't get to see you dance in Dance It because all the dancing that you did for Dance It was uh, in rehearsal. Uh, I threw and, myself around with them for many, many months. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's very clear, uh, and for anyone who ever <laughs> has seen you on stage, that you are an incredible performer as well. When did you start dancing? What, what, what got you moving? Oh, gosh, I was... Uh, two and a half and I was exhausting my, I'm an only child. I was exhausting <laughs> my mother with the amount of energy that I had with the amount of, I mean, she actually has like a cassette tape of me. I had a cassette recorder and I think I was three. I had just turned three. I really rocked it all on that tape. I mean, I gave you Grease. I gave you Grease too. <laughs> I did some excerpts from Annie. I said the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. I gave you all of Thriller, including oh. the Vincent Price monologue well, in course. the middle. It started there. She was like, I got to do something with her. Actually, ironically, my mother was like very naturally gifted and from a very, you know, big Italian family that immigrated from Palermo and they just did not have the funds to like, but she did every like musical at school and like choreographed things for her nieces. So <laughs> I think she just was like, she had talent, but couldn't put it anywhere. So she put me in dance and I was like obsessed from day one. Like there's <laughs> pictures of all the little girls and their tutus at the bar and everybody's like, you know, rolling around on the floor, picking their nose. And I'm like fully in first position <laughs> 
looking over my hand, giving you a palma, like I'm three, like, what am I doing? So that, yeah, I guess it was like, so by the time I was seven, I think I told her I started dancing more and more. And I was like, I'm not going to college. This is what I'm doing. And I now have a seven year old. So I know how that is, but, um, I meant it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still picturing you doing Cool Rider. Oh, yeah. Greece too, you better right? believe yeah. it, Michelle oh, Pfeiffer. Yeah, it's yeah. on. I, I, yes. I have that. I will, that, I will, that will never leave my head now. Absolutely. I, it, that's called perfect casting. I know. It's. I mean, I don't know. I guess it was dance first, but then again, I was already singing and mm-hmm. acting and doing all this stuff just from like toddler. So I guess it makes a lot of sense that I ended up. Where, yeah. I, where I ended yeah. up, you know? Well, uh, to circle back to dancing, how, how did you formally get involved in this, in this production? Funny enough, uh, the one thing that did go up during the pandemic was a, a company of Wicked in Korea. That's right, yeah. Which I actually did mo- all of it like virtually. But I was, yeah, we were, I, I had met with Wayne before that and I knew that it was kind of about to land. So it was, it was prior to that. It was even prior to pandemic. We had gone out to lunch and, you know, he was like, I think this is actually going to move forward and going to happen. And uh, so then it was actually during the pandemic that we started to actually chip away and dig into everything and look at run order and everything from starting with firstly reconstructing some of the choreography so that we could see it on live bodies <laughs> so that we weren't just looking at, you know, the footages were were hard to comb through and decipher. And uh, Wayne had specific, you know, ideas about how, how to, um, you know, how to, how to share it with this generation. Cause it's, it's not something that we felt could just be put up exactly as was in 78, even though it was absolutely brilliant. It's just that Bob always was ahead of his time. So how are we going to tap into that and stay true to the work? We kind of started more abstractly or big picture wise to try to look at, okay, if this was the run order, like what would be the transitional tissue that might string these things together. And there was so much like little dialogue intros and, you know, it really tapped into his vaudeville background and felt like these grand introductions that were little scene vignettes and such. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to make sure that we were kind of following through with that idea. And, and Kirsten was incredible and, and pivotal and just all of that, you know, all of that pre-production that we did and breaking it apart figuring out what it what it was what it what it could be because you you had to break it apart to put it back together we had to totally break it and go like what can we live without and i know people have mixed feelings about it but the 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 tribute to bob at the end of of adding you know a little bit of big deal at the end i think speaks more to the idea of kind of the exploration of this person's body of work and career as not only a performer but a choreographer and a director and uh an Emmy winner and a Tony winner and an Oscar. You know, you yeah. got to go through the whole gamut to kind of really revive what Danson was for him at that point in his career. So he wouldn't have done a carbon copy of it anyway. And, you know, everyone should be grateful that they have an opportunity to see Beat Me Daddy. And, I, and, I agree. And, my, and, and one any, of my favorite and, numbers. Yeah and, yeah. and anyone that doesn't, well, then it's their loss because it's truly a masterpiece and it's thrilling to watch and it absolutely belongs as part of the show. 
Was there something that you had to lose in the process that you wished you could have kept? Was there a number or a moment or something that you thought, this doesn't work, but boy, I wish it did? Yeah, there was a couple things we went back and forth about, you know, that it was really hard too because while there was there was no archival footage mm. of the original company and it was i mean it's almost amazing that it wasn't because of why it didn't happen and but it also made us a little sad because i think you know contrary we did have footage of of big deal so there was something very accurate of the original company to kind of be able to reproduce or reconstruct from that did not exist for dancing there was a tour and but things were changed a lot and you know so we had to use footage that um i would say in execution was not the strongest but the staging was probably most accurate to what happened on broadways but very different than seeing the actual original cast do it or even broadway performers do it um so it, yeah, there was a couple things that we toyed with, but it was just hard. I think it was hard even for Wayne to like, you know, even with Christine and Wayne, just to like recollect how exactly that functioned, you know, 40 years ago or whatever <laughs> at that point. It's yeah. like they remember so much, both of them and everybody's, you know, recollection is a little bit different. But then they have things that are just like you go, you listen to them talk or even Kirsten Childs talk and you go, oh, my gosh, of course. Like you just it's like worth a million bucks just to hear some <laughs> of the, you know, stories and um, what they remember and what stuck out to them. It's everybody's, you know, everybody that different things resonate with different performers and what you remember from your twenties. It's like, you know, once you're, when you're on the other side of that, it's like, it's an interesting thing, but that was really cool to kind of go through, uh, here, here. So the oral history of it sounds yeah. like it was really fascinating. <clears throat> yeah. It was, it was really fascinating. And, and, you know, I think Bob was extremely intelligent. And so to really dissect everything and go back to, okay, I mean, truly, he was a director through and through. He was even a director of, I would say he was not a choreographer, but a director of movement. Mm. He was, everything had subtext, had story, had meaning, had intention, every single thing. And um, that part, I, I find, like, so fascinating. That was really, like, the meat of it for me, was to kind of, like, try to understand through, whether it's Wayne or... Christine or Nicole or Kirsten, everybody has their experiences, but to kind of really research and dig into, you know, the things that we do have that are tangible, the things on film where you can really watch him and watch what the intention is. I mean, it's, it's priceless, really. I mean, that's, that's what the, the soul of the show is. So taking into account then both the movement, but also the intention and the subtext and the story, was there a particular part of the show that was hardest to reconstruct given those two sort of factors that have to be combined? Um, I think, you know, I think it was all hard to reconstruct <laughs> just because even the, even the production numbers from dancing that are, you know, exactly the phrases and choreography that were Bob's, we still, you know, kind of, gave some of the musical staging a little bit of a more modern facelift mm -hmm. in places, but that, and that is hard because you still have to pay a lot of attention to not losing 
the original cadence. It was the 70s. Everything felt very concerty, presentational, and kind of more ballet format, with the exception of Calypso, which mm. is movement three of percussion, which Wayne and I still agree, just in terms of like a masterclass in staging uh, for theater or concert work. I mean, that is literally staged like a piece of concert work yes. and it was staged that way and choreographed and the details in it, the way that it's staged. The, I mean, every, we essentially kept it exactly the same, except with the constrictions that we just had to find. I'd say critical thinking that we had to deal with because our set was not, you know, uh, like a barren kind of stage, like what they had, because right. we have the scaffoldings. And uh, so, but with the exception of that, I mean, it just, and and a lot of the other smaller pared down things, the duets and the pas de deux and trios and such. But um, that one was just masterful. I would say that Big City Mime was a huge challenge well, that course. we both just ate up. <laughs> like we just were like, we're doing this. I mean, it was such a kind of incredible exercise for both of us to go through that actually turned out to be something that is like very enjoyable to watch and make sense, even though it moves so quickly and uh, to focus it and to focus Bob's work out of context of what the original choreography mm -hmm. came from, but within his storyline, I don't know. I felt like that was yeah. so cool. Well, Just speaking of concert work, I mean, it feels like that's almost the kind of piece that could be lifted out of dancing in the future and done as its own piece in an evening of of other, you know, choreographers or even of, of other Bob Fosse work, right? It's like, interesting. It's like a yeah. It's like we made a, a dance ballet. narrative yeah. out of his work with some dialogue and some music, but very, I mean, very little. It's interesting. It was interesting exercise because you know, theater one hundred and one is. When a scene is heightened to a place where it can't go any further, it erupts into song, right? For the actor. And this was it. The scene gets heightened to a place where it erupts into dance, mm -hmm. mostly, um, with the exception of, you know, a couple little places like uh, Spring Chicken, which is, yeah. you know, obviously a nod from Cabaret there, <laughs> mine hair. But um, it was it was like yeah. it was an incredible it was an incredible kind of task and project to take on. And, yeah. and it took us a bulk of our pre-production time, especially with music, to, to kind mm -hmm. of figure out how much, how far, what is this going to sound like? It has to have a nod. We have to, people have to know what context they're in. So that was like, that was tricky and it took us some time. I, I'm, I'm pleased with how it turned out after a lot of, a lot of detail and attention to it. So Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking as frequent audience members, we can attest that you should be very <laughs> proud of it. And, you know, the, without a doubt, the audience reaction every night is just so ecstatic because it is, you know, it is this celebration of, of all the work and to see it all, you know, sort of intersect in one within the container of one piece yeah. is very thrilling, right? I mean, the whole show does that as a show, yeah. but even within the show, there's this microcosm. It's you a know. weird, yeah, it's like a weird thing that exists on its own plane in the middle of act one. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm true. so glad it like really landed the way it needed to because it could really have tripped us up with well, the flow of the show. And But the evolution <clears> from <throat> San Diego to New York has also been interesting. Rob and I were fortunate enough to go out to San Diego and in essence, obviously, Big City Mime is the same piece, right? But whatever little tweaks you've done between San Diego and New York, 
I can't tell you what they are. I'm sure you know. <laughs> She's but, got a list. But, yeah. And I saw it in San Diego three times. So, yeah. you know, I saw it a, a, a number of times. And I can't tell you what you did, but what you did is the thing that really made it gel. It was great in San Diego, but it's a different animal in New York. And it lands differently. And I'm sure you know this because you're there a lot. But <laughs> even with audiences, yeah. it it's it's interesting just those little tweaks. Whatever it is that you do as a, as a creative team to make something whole and complete. But honestly, the the opportunity to go out of town is always just incredible because I, I really think, I mean, Wayne and I have said this several times over with anything that we've done, it's like, you know, directorially now too, it's one thing when it's choreography and it's another thing when it's a full vision, but that time to see something up and know what you need to do the first skeleton. I always like to say it's like it's our skeleton. It's like the first round that we do. It's never really your strongest. It's sometimes it can be really good, but it's never your strongest. You need to see everything and really experience everything to know what you need to do, what tweaks you need to make. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that really is obvious and sometimes it's less obvious. And then sometimes you're, you know, you want to like pick things apart and destroy things that aren't, that are working, you know? So it's like, it's an interesting gauge, kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Sometimes when you look at something too much and you haven't had the audience energetic response yet, you can start to like second guess things that you're doing. And we knew it was the right amount of time that we chose because they needed an audience. It was time right. to get an audience. They were so sick of looking at us. <laughs> the you know, I'm like, okay, we've laughed in the same five places. Like they need, they need the people. They need the people. They need to, to be able to gauge what their pacing is like. You know, it's, it's particularly hard for a lot of the stuff, which is, you know, has so much innuendo and, comedy in inside of it that to, without an audience yeah. you know you don't really know where yeah, I was about to say it's 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 it, it's it seems like it's like rehearsing a comedy like a strict comedy like a play you yeah. can you can over rehearse it right totally. you can kill the jokes totally if you do it too much yeah, right so dead. you need like, to I'm like, I'm like that one's dead okay we need to move <laughs> on we're beating that dead horse yeah so, yeah yeah it was it was uh, I mean I think that I think that the a lot of the tweaks that we did in Act One were worth it. I'm glad we didn't like pick it apart and really make huge changes because I think that we wanted Act Two to feel more like Act One felt, and I think that was the goal. Do you ever have a moment in San Diego or in previews or in tech where you just want to get up on the stage and do it yourself? All just the, all yeah. the time, <laughs> all the time. And it's, it was weird for me, too, because I was up and dancing with them and teaching, you know, certain bits of choreography. I was up and staging and all that stuff for so long. When you get into tech, it becomes like a different you're in a different realm. It's a different phase. And um, then they're used to like, you know, my voice on the mic. <laughs> or, and then like, you know, where I should have been stepping back in places in the music box, that was a little bit tricky. So sometimes I would just go get up on stage with them and be too close to it and not really be able to see what I needed to see. But that's the beauty of Wayne and I. It's like, we've been working together for so long. We know how to do that, that dance, if you will. And it's definitely a dance. And he's been so supportive in letting me run the room when needed and facilitate the changes and facilitate what staging needs to happen. And he's able to sit back and look at it. And it, you know, it, it works like that. And then he, he 
you know, gets up and throws himself around too. We're both kind of <laughs> ma- cut from the same cloth, I think, where we'll both go like, it's this. And then you're like, ow, I hurt myself. This might be a, an unfair question. Okay. But do you have a favorite song moment in the show? Mm, that's a hard one. Actually, just in terms of a scene with a vignette and a song and the kind of context, I, I'm so unbelievably, and this has nothing to do with my husband singing it, but like the way that Bojangles turned mm-hmm. out as a piece, as a vignette, everything from the Langston Hughes poem at the top. I mean, everything about what we do and the leg and the legacy that it also represents. That's, I, I mean, everything about inspiration, legacy, the fact that he was a tapper. I mean, I think that the piece really speaks, like, I think it has so much heart. It's really beautiful. Uh, It's one of my favorite moments in the show because of everybody's execution up there and because of just the overall, you know, just the creative direction of it. I think it's beautiful. It's interesting about Bone Jangles. I I ask everyone who I send to see the show what their favorite song was, you know, and who their favorite performer was because everybody has everybody, a different answer, yeah, right? Like that's what's so fun like about it. A, that's what's so cool. Yeah, it's like yeah. everybody ha- vibrates with yep, somebody different. Yep. And I but think I, that's so cool. I love how frequently Bojangles is referenced when mm-hmm. I ask that question, especially because it's the second number in the show, which means they sat through the rest of the entire show, which is just memorable showstopper yes. after showstopper. And they still came back to it, right? For the ones who answer Bojangles, which is a testament to what you're describing, the whole creative direction of it. Yeah, I mean, I love impression. the, yeah, I love yeah. the, I mean, just in terms of anything that was kind of adjusted or paid forward, that one I'd say is my favorite. If you're asking yeah. me about my favorite piece of like what of choreography or yeah. which also all has acting, as I said, Calypso oh, yeah. is a huge, like probably maybe like I think one of the coolest numbers in the show um, or pieces of choreography. I also, uh, I also love the alley dance. I love uh, romantic fantasy. Mm. And I actually think uh, my, my, the last one that I really, I mean, sing, sing, sing is always a crowd pleaser. You can never not love every section of that. And then I think joint endeavors turned out so cool, which was like, we, really like overly cerebralized that one for a while. And uh, then I just started going, okay, like I'm I'm going to pull some stuff together and let's see how it goes. And it turned out really, I think it turned out beautiful, especially with Finn's, you know, design and everything. I said this to Carly and I've said it to Jamie before. Yeah. I We often get to join Endeavor's you know, that, that moment in the show. And I go, Oh yes, I'd forgotten about how much I love this moment. It really is gorgeous. It's, it's like sexy. Oh my and gosh. Gorgeous it really and is. Like everything. All it, the things. It's all the things. Yeah. And it's very cool. I think just in terms of like creative direction is that like we took the song that we mm-hmm. took and then almost did variations of it. So it was like, we, you know, Jim Abbott and I, we were all talking about like, how can we, And I was like, what about like, do you remember Requiem for a Dream? Like, you know how there's like a million, you know, he he really rewrote every section to reflect what was Mm. kind of happening dramatically in terms of the over. It's the same kind of piece of music. You just hear it a million different ways. And that was, I think, what was really the most inspirational and got us going with that was to think, okay, we're going to do these three movements, these three pas de deux, and you're not going to arrive at what song it is until the end when Carly sings it. So I think that was kind of cool. 
And I will go on the record to circle back to Bojangles that I think the way Manny sings it is extraordinary. Yeah. I want a cast album solely to listen I to know. that it's on a repeat. Really great, and re- it, he, it's a great arrangement. And, and talk about acting. Yeah. Talk about being able to not only just sing that song with such power, but with such soul and depth. It's, it's, it's equal to the dance, in my opinion. It's interesting, that piece. It's like, you know, any of the three pivotal parts of that, Manny, Jacob, Yaman, any one of them, anybody missing from the mix changes the entire, and and I don't mean that in a bad way because the understudies do it beautifully as well, but it's, it's, they really, that was really a process that built, you know, and the things that they found with one another, especially because Yaman's reference kind of exists on its own plane, mm-hmm. the plane of, you know, inspiration, the plane of legacy. And Manny and Jacob exist between these two worlds of like what's happening right now and what's narrative and recollective for him, which also turns into that for Jacob. That's what's so interesting about the scene, I think, you know, is that there's these three separate things that are all working in conjunction with one another to tell the same story. Well, to take us home, what does Bob Fosse mean to you? Mm. What he means to me has been a huge source of inspiration that we as artists continue to like push our boundaries. He pushed every boundary and the ceiling up out of the way. <laughs> and I think that has been like the the most like kind of... It, it's so funny because he was not a sentimental man. He was a very like, it was not, he was not sentimental. He was kind of dry and had this like quiet, sarcastic charm about him. But everything about doing, you know, kind of doing the deep sea dive into his work has made me feel just a, a complete like, it's been a complete vomit of like love and passion for what I've chosen to do and what, and you know, what our, what our art is and what speaks to us. So I would say, you know, what he means to me is like a huge source of inspiration and, and we're always striving for more. And that's what I would like to do, continue to do in my art and in my life. I think that's my favorite answer to that oh. question so far. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. I don't know. I went yeah. down. I went down no, deep, but yeah, it's been it a was, long process for was, me. So well, what I love about it is it not to just, not to discredit any other answer, but it's very personal and proud yeah. it, and, and it's profound and personal to hear you talk about that inspiration. And I don't know. Thank you. That was great. Thank you, guys. This is really fun. This was I feel like fun. I'm having just coffee, but it's really, really cold coffee. <laughs> I don't even don't even look at your watch. I, mean, I don't want you to know how long we kept you. We've, I think we've talked to you longer than we've talked to anybody. Well, that's OK. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. A dancing man, a dancing man. Bob Fosse's Dancing is now on Broadway at the Music Box Theater. For tickets and more information, visit dancinbway.com. Dancing Man, a Fabulous Invalid podcast, is a production of O&M Etc. and the Fabulous Invalid LLC, and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to Civilian for hosting us, and to our audio engineer, Kyle Moore. If you liked this episode, we've got over 100 episodes of the Fabulous Invalid podcast that you can check out, including a two-parter on the life, work, and legacy of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. 
You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at fabulousinvalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.